Welcome to the Catch Em and Keep Em podcast with Melissa Glennie and Mark Altman. We're here to help you hire, engage, and retain the best talent to help you make your vision a reality. Hi, and welcome back to the Catch Em and Keep Em podcast. A lot has changed this year in the way that we are doing business. So we're talking about how um, recruitment plans and recruitment planning has been changing. And, and Mark, I'm excited to talk about this with you because, um, you know, goal setting really is one of the things that I've learned so much from you about. And as you can bring your wisdom to recruitment planning and goal setting for next year, I think our listeners are going to benefit a whole lot. Yeah, I agree. And Melissa, I want our listeners to pay very close attention today to my posture because my daughter got me this thing for my back that zaps me every time I slouch. So it's like a Pavlov's dog response of some kind. So just, I want our listeners to know this. I'm very straight up today. So we talk about recruiting. I'm very locked in and focused. Well, I was just going to ask you, who has the control for this? Oh my God. Oh my God. There was, there was a great Cheers episode with Cliff Clavin, the mailman, where the psychiatrist controlled the zapper when he said something stupid. It was one of the funniest episodes. So yeah, no, luckily I have the controls. Well, that's a really cool gift. Kudos to her. Before we get to goal setting itself, there's two foundational aspects we want to cover. One is setting expectations and the other is setting boundaries. So let's dive right into how to set expectations and why it's so important. One of the um, frustrations I think that I hear a lot from HR folks uh, is that they have managers when um, they're recruiting who, you know, they might have 12 departments or more and the managers all have needs to recruit for their department. Um, but it seems like they feel like they're the only ones. And it's very overwhelming for a lot of the clients that I work with. When, you know, when you're coaching your clients on how to set expectations, maybe specifically with managers, how do you go about that? Well, and I think the first point to consider, Melissa, is that because so many people are overwhelmed with the demand with demands on their time and the expectations people have, what people typically do when they feel overwhelmed is they end up doing much less and they grab onto whatever they think they can actually control and avoid what they don't think they can control. And so with HR, one of the things that I think it's not only the point you're making, which is a great one about how everybody has job recs and hirings they want them to do, but with HR, HR has so many demands on their time from everybody in the organization, even outside of the recruiting needs. So I think the first thing is we're talking about how does an HR person have the self-awareness to know that they need to manage somebody else's expectations? So when you get that when you're when you get that fourth request from a fourth hiring manager with another job to fill and you're sitting there like you've got to be kidding me it's got to start very simple it's got to start saying i'm feeling overwhelmed i need to take a step back i need to be assertive i need to set expectations and i need to communicate that i can help you with this but based on the amount of work i have here's the timeline i'm going to set forth And I think it all starts with the awareness and then the initial setting of expectations. Yeah, I agree. And you know, Mark, I think that there's another point that I've 
uncovered when I'm working with my clients, and that is the support and the involvement from the upper management. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I, um, I'm in some circles of recruiters and talent acquisition folks where we share best practices and some, some things that I've heard that were really impressive to me um, were kind of centered around the agile uh, methodology mm. as applied to recruitment. And, um, and I think for things to really work um, when you have a lot of recs and you have to be able to prioritize them, you know how we always talk about transparency and it, it, it doesn't work. This won't work if you, are thinking and talking about recs as you know, we, we need a, a person to fill this seat who has a certain experience and a certain qualification. If you think about this stuff and you talk about it as a company in terms of problems that the company needs to solve and the severity and the urgency of mm. the problem equates to the resources and the time that needs to be allocated to solve that problem. Um, so it's less about, you know, this manager's need versus that manager's need and who's more important, but which problem is bigger and wh what do we need to focus on first? Yeah, well, Melissa, it, this reminds me of one of the best lessons you taught me that I think we discussed on one of our first shows. This was a Melissa Glennie special. So <laughs> if you didn't get this, we're going to give you another opportunity to get it. But no, all kidding aside, it's when you're interviewing someone for a job, and you look at all the qualifications, characteristics, experience you're looking for, you need to prioritize which of those things is most important. This is what mm -hmm. Melissa taught you. You can't just treat everything the same. And so the analogy she's making there is the same goes for HR, right? So if you get four recs in, not each of those recs is equally important. And Melissa, to your point, so now it's about prioritizing. And then it's about how do you communicate to the person who's fourth on the list? Mm -hmm. You know, like, because it's one thing to set expectations and communicate timelines, but then when that person's like, well, wait a minute, why am I the last one to get it? And frankly, Melissa, if that conversation would need to take place and someone in the organization is dropping the ball and setting the mission and vision of the organization about the overall expectations, because that should be understood without the whole leadership team and that shouldn't fall on HR but it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that, you know, if, if you do have transparency in the process and everyone from the top to the bottom of the organization is participating in establishing the, the priorities and understanding why they are what they are. I, I know of one company who has a, um, uh, a point system. And so they establish, you know, so depending on the size of your company, and the number of recs you typically have, let's say you start with a hundred points and it's determined that, you know, this particular prob problem or opening is really big. We need to assign 10 points to this. And when, when you're out of points, you're out of points, you know, so it, it and it's just, it's mathematical. Like so that. you can't really argue with, with numbers if you can systemize it in a way like that. Um, and everyone kind of gets their turn, you know? Um, yeah, I like that. So uh, just, just another idea there. Um, so, Mark, do we want to talk about KPIs at all? I mean, we're talking about expectations. So, you know, I think number, like as we're on the topic of numbers, it's a kind of a way that uh, I think it's an important aspect of managing expectations. Yeah, and I think, Melissa, you know, I think, I think our audience could benefit from it. I think it's very valuable to talk about KPIs, but I also think it'd be valuable to talk about them from a different perspective. 
very often, you know, you and I are both in positions to give people guidance and recommendations on how to do things. I can't tell you how many companies I talk to that when I tell them KPIs, they don't even know what they are. I mean, seriously, there's a lot of companies out there saying, what does that mean? So let's back up a second. KPIs, for those of you who don't know, means key performance indicators. And they're really a way to measure whatever your priorities, goals, objectives are, they're a way to measure. So Melissa, I guess I would turn it over to you on this and ask you a couple of things. First of all, um, you know, do you have opportunities at times where you're helping people either A, create them, B, evaluate them, or C, improve on them? I would imagine you must have clients frequently asking that. And, and how, do you, how do you recommend and what's your approach when you're working with clients on stuff like that? Well, I'll second what you just said. I think, you know, I more often than not, I'm uh, sitting down at the table with someone who's in a higher capacity who gives me a blank stare when I talk about KPIs. Um, and it just hasn't been part of their world. So if, if somebody's just kind of getting started with it, I do recommend kind of a fundamental set. Um, time to fill is a really common one. Cost per hire. Retention, I think, is an important one to have in there. Um, you could argue that that's not really so much recruitment, but it certainly ties to the results that the recruiting program is bringing. Most companies, when they're measuring retention, they look at first year fall at first year fall off or first so, year. So, Melissa, let me ask you two questions about that. First, the time to fill KPI, I think, is simple, but it's it's hugely valuable. So, my question for you on that is, what what do you tell a client? who hasn't been keeping track of that all along. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't even have a foundational baseline, then what are they comparing it against? Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't really have a good recommendation. If, if nobody's been tracking, then you're gonna be hard pressed to go back and put the pieces together. So it's one of those things I just recommend, just start and, and go forward. Um, is yeah. there, but, but Melissa, is there like a best practice? You know, like when someone says to me, you know, what's your sales cycle or what should a sales cycle for be? Like, obviously every industry is different, but my point is I could give ranges. So for you, if you haven't been keeping track of time to fill and they said, okay, well, what should our target be? Is it too hard of a question to give a generic answer or how would you approach that? I do think that it's um, position specific. Okay. Um, and it, there's some um, variable with the, company circumstances. So let's just say, for example, if a company, if this has been part of the recruiting strategy that they were going to hire for certain positions, and they've known that for six, 12 months or more, that's one set of circumstances. If they just got in a massive new client at a, because of something they didn't foresee, and they suddenly need to hire people, that's a different set of circumstances. So, you know, I, I think that you I think it's important to consider the circumstances when you're um, making your decisions and, and agreeing upon what the target KPI is. Um, in some cases, you also you know, wanna look at the supply and demand. So one of the things we do for our clients when we start a search is we'll actually pull together analytics and show them supply and demand within various wow. markets. So uh, we can drill down pretty, um, you know, pr pr uh, to, a pretty precise level um, to show them how many people there are in your market who we can recruit and how many other 
openings are there in your market that are currently competing for those people? So Melissa, you just gave me a big light bulb. So when you do the supply and demand thing, the very way we started this podcast today is we're talking about setting expectations. So you, when you do supply and demand, that's exactly what you're doing. You're educating them. You're setting expectations on what the market looks like. How many, in your experience, how many HR or recruit or hiring managers are doing that with the people that request the job recs to set expectations? Mm-hmm. How many are doing that? And if not many, is that something that they seriously should be learning from you how to do? Because that would seem to be a very powerful way to set expectations. It really is. I mean, and to be honest with you, Mark, it's a, I don't know any HR person. I have no clients that have access to this. Um, you know, our industry has become a, more and more technical um, in the time that I've been in it. And so I, I think that recruiters today or staffing agencies are accustomed to doing a lot more with business analytics than what you see in the human resources office. And frankly, I don't, I mean, HR already has so much on their plate that I don't know that I would even recommend that they attempt having another arm that's analytics, right? Well, and what's so funny about this to me is, and I have a really funny analogy to make here. So before I met you, when I had used staffing agencies in the past, and they didn't fill my job in 30 days. I, I never saw a supply and demand report. So I was just stewing in my office going, well, what the heck's the matter with these people? Mm-hmm. You know, it's 30 days and they don't put any quality candidates in front of me. And, and on the flip side, um, the CEO who's breathing down the neck of the HR person going, listen, I told you I needed this filled 30 days ago. What's going on here? That to me seems like an incredibly important step to educate internally and to educate the client externally because otherwise people have their own vision of how quickly and what should happen and they're just basing it off of nothing yeah i mean you really if you don't have the facts then you you don't know what you're working with so i think that's an important one is being able to establish you know agreeing up front with a manager based on the knowledge that you're able to present to them to educate them um agreeing on you know what what a reasonable timeline is and what to expect i think just saves a lot of frustration on everyone's part well yeah and melissa my analogy is when you ask someone in in a sales interaction what's their budget what i always teach is most people's budget is completely arbitrary and not thought through so if you were to say to someone, well, what's your budget for recruiting? And they say, oh, it's uh, $40,000 a year, okay? And let's say they wanted you to find 10 people for them. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, there's no way, we're not gonna be able to find 10 people for $40,000. Well, most salespeople would get agitated that you told them a budget of $40,000 is realistic for 10 people. What I would do, and I teach is I say, well, how'd you come up with that number, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. when, the, when the CEO walks up to the HR person or an executive in the organization and says, you know, I gave you this 30 days ago, how come you haven't filled? I would have the HR person very kindly and respectfully and assertively say, well, what, why did you think it could get filled in 30 days? Right. 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 But people right. get very yeah. defensive and they feel like they have to justify their livelihood 
as opposed to just being curious and say, well, why did you have that expectation in the first place? That's such a great point. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's uh, but boy, those, that analytics, supply and demand, man, I am, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot. Like that's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's where it all starts. You have to know what you're working with. We're going to move on to talk about setting and holding boundaries when you're in a recruiting role supporting other managers so you and they always have clarity and avoid frustration. But first, if you're interested in learning how to recruit, engage, and retain a high-achieving team, then we encourage you to subscribe and follow us wherever you choose, be it Spotify, Podbean, or YouTube. And we appreciate your likes, your shares, and your feedback so we can all keep learning together. Okay, let's dive back in. All right, Mark. So how about, you know, the other aspect before we get to goals, um, foundationally speaking, what about boundaries? Um, I mean, this, this is such a, a, a key area, I think, for you too. Um, in, in establishing expectations, I mean, people can expect, like you were just talking about, people can expect whatever they want, but how do you set those boundaries? Yeah, so I think there's three things. We're talking about being assertive. And I think there's three things that get in the way of setting boundaries. First of all is when you actually take the time to speak up, you actually feel that the person you're speaking up to will actually care and listen, right? And a lot of us have past experiences with people like, well, why bother? They're not gonna be able to hear me anyway. So there's the belief that speaking up will actually matter, okay? The second thing when it comes to setting boundaries is um, and I even caught a leader doing this a couple of days ago, Melissa, is they confuse assertive and aggressive. Mm. Speaking up and speaking up for what you believe, your ideas, your thoughts, your feelings is not about whining, complaining, um, being hostile, being angry, resentful. No, it's just in a very, with good word choice, really good tone, good, positive, healthy body language, you just look at the person in question and say, hey, can I talk to you? Totally understand why this is important. Um, it's just with, with, with the constraints and the demands I have on my job right now, um, I'm not going to be able to do what you're asking me to do, but let's try to collaborate and come up with a plan B. And if you're listening to this podcast, it seems so obvious, right? Like, it just, just have the conversation. It's easy. But if it were that easy, people would be willing to advocate for themselves and, you know, and have a sort of, and frankly, Melissa, one of the hardest things I see in organizations is being assertive when managing up. Because mm. the third thing that gets in the way is you don't want to disappoint people or let them down. So you take on more than you can handle because you don't want people to judge you for having to say no or letting them down. So there's mm -hmm. so much psychological and emotional stuff that gets in the way of setting boundaries. And, uh, and so, um, but the second you take past experiences that have been negative and let that discourage you or control your motivation to set those boundaries, you've already lost because every person's different and every outcome's different. But once you give up, you start to rationalize that there's no hope with anybody, which is not true. Yeah. You know, Mark, I, I mean, this is a, such an interesting area for me because I think boundaries personally is something that's always been a struggle for me. The, you know, the, um, the visceral response is, is like, if somebody asks for something, then it, it must be reasonable because they're asking me for it. And one other quick thought on that, 
So um, part of the problem too is, is that when you ask someone to do something, most people have so much on their mind and their plate. Like if I ask you a favor, Melissa, when I ask you that favor, I'm not thinking, geez, I wonder what else Melissa has to deal with today. I'm thinking, hey, Melissa, I need a favor. Yeah. So, and that's not being insensitive. We just get caught up in our own worlds. So I think part of the challenge is that sometimes when people push hard on you and ask you to do things that you may consider unreasonable, it's just because they haven't thought it through. It's not malicious. They're just yeah. caught up in their own responsibilities and role. And that's where by you being assertive, you may disrupt and educate them and go, oh, you're right. I didn't even think of that. I forgot how much you had to do. You know what I mean? So there's that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, as this relates to HR and recruiting, you know, I, I, I often will reflect when I'm finding myself kind of maybe getting pushed around a little bit by a hiring manager mm, mm. Uh, and, and feeling like the onus is all on me. I got to fix this. And, um, you know, so I'll kind of reflect on like, okay, how, how is this, how is this happening that I'm in this position where I know I'm being asked to do something that's not reasonable. And for some reason, I, I, I'm just going along. Right. Um, so I, I have found that there are some tricks in building the expectations into the, the system or into my process where, you know, it kind of takes the pressure off me to be assertive. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting this to cop out on being assertive, but as I'm working on it, right. <laughs> building, building things into my system where it's just expected from the get-go that if you want X from me, then you need to provide Y to me. And it's the give and take, right? Just trying to get that, um, that rhythm established. Um, so I've, I'm just throwing that out there because I have found, and I'll give a quick example. Mm. Um, when managers, one of, the, one of the most frustrating things as a recruiter is a manager will, will pick up the phone, they'll call and they'll say, I need this. And they give you three sentences. And then you're supposed to know everything they're looking for. And uh, I'll say, well, okay, well, let me get some more clarification. They say, I'll, I'll know the person when I see them. Just, just bring me candidates and I'll tell you who I like. And that's the worst position to be in as a recruiter. Um, so, I, you know, I'm just suggesting that um, in that kind of a case, what we've done is we've created a, a template where, you know, it, what an HR or recruiter inside of a company could do is say, great, you know, fill out this requisition form, send it to me, I'll review it and we can get to work on it. Um, just as a quick example. Well, and, and, and just to add one final thought to that uh, before we get to setting goals, I think what you're talking about is probably the biggest aspect of setting boundaries. And I, I call it a resignation mindset because when someone pushes on you to do something and your reaction is something else to do, mm -hmm. kind of throw your hands up in the air and you just accept it and take it, right? You have a choice. You know, you can speak up. But if your default reaction is you don't feel comfortable speaking up or you don't feel confident speaking up, then you're making that choice to create that difficulty for yourself. So, you know, where you would like other people to set expectations with you, it's reciprocity and it goes both ways. So, so and, you know, Melissa, talking in our final segment about setting goals, um, you know, where are you seeing the holes when it comes to setting goals and, and some of the challenges we're facing with setting goals? 
Well, I think, you know, in, in terms of recruiting, um, a, a lot of times the, the recruiters and the managers that I'm working with, they really just get hung up with, um, you know, I've been looking for this talent and I can't, it's not out there. Uh, you know, they, it's like, I don't know if you ever have anybody in your household who's looking for something in the refrigerator and they're like, where did it go? It's not here. It's not here. And like, you get up out of your seat, you go over and you pick it up out of the refrigerator. Like, yeah, it just wasn't where you were looking. They, you know, they get there, they're, they get looped uh, in this, um, they get, I guess, stuck on a loop, right? Where they're just, they've concluded that it's not possible. And then how do you set goals at that point? I mean, if you don't believe that it's possible, then I, it, it's a dead end. Well, you know, it all starts with my 14 years year old son whose peripheral vision extends to directly in the absolute only space in front of his eyes in that moment. <laughs> so the incremental goal I set for him is look to the left and look to the right. Let's start with that. So yes. all kidding aside, um, yeah, you know, setting goals is really interesting because when you feel there's an expression I use often these days when you feel hopeless and helpless, right? When you're trying to set goals, but you feel like, why? I can't get to where I want to go anyway. Any, anyway, why, why am I going to set these goals? And people are really demanding and hard on themselves. And to get from point A to point B um, is one step. But unfortunately, a lot of people can't see doing it a step at a time and they need to try to do it all at once. Mm -hmm. So if the talent's not out there, then you know what I would say, if you were my client, Melissa, and you said, well, I'm struggling to set goals because the talent's not out there. Then what I would do is, the first goal I would set is I would look at the, I would look at the uh, methods you're currently using to recruit mm -hmm. and set up some metrics or KPIs and to know whether any of them are working, none of them are working, all of them are working, but you've got to look in the mirror first. And I think, I think it's so hard for people to break down processes into small steps mm -hmm. because it takes some critical thinking, but I think that's where it has to start. I agree, Mark. I, I think, um, you know, my, my first question when someone's telling me that the people aren't out there, the downstream metrics, when those aren't being met, we just go upstream and start looking um, at the, the things that lead to the, the ultimate results that we're looking for and, and, and just do what you can control, you know? Um, and then I'll ask, well, what does your toolbox look like? I think to your point that you were just making, if they say, well, I've been, you know, I've been posting the jobs here, here, and here. I've been, you know, following up on every single application that comes in. I've, I've been networking with this group, that group, that group then, okay, great. So what if you find three more platforms for posting your jobs and you find X number of new networks to start tapping into, um, like look right, look left, right? Um, those are the things that you can control and kind of going back to the KPIs we were talking about earlier, um, you know, I am a fan of having a certain number of fundamental KPIs, but I think that they, you really need to have the fluid thought process around them because sometimes um, you know it it doesn't make a lot of sense to just keep calling more people from the same pool that you've already been calling from. Um, you need to look at a, a different set of metrics. So Melissa, you know, I, I know I know your clients calling you for consulting at times, whether it's 
setting KPIs, evaluating their recruiting or retention strategy, whatever it might be. But you know, the thing that's sticking out to me right now is when it comes to setting goals, you know, what is it that you find that the demand is in the industry? So if you take all the calls you get, incoming calls and all the clients you're helping, what are you finding the biggest areas you are giving people help? Because I gotta be honest with you, when I think of, you know, not your company, but when I think of recruiting or staffing companies, I just, I'm so tunnel visioned is, oh, I need help recruiting or staffing, I'll call them. Oh, I don't need help recruiting and staffing, I won't. Mm -hmm. I have so tunnel vision and I never think, geez, this is what these people do for a living. They're experts at recruiting. So what are you seeing the demand? We talked supply and demand. What are the demands right now and where are people needing you most do you see? Um, you know, I think that in, in the work that we do with our clients, I mean, there's certain categories of, of you know, demand that we work with um, primarily, but I, I think overall, the, where we really bring help to our clients as compared to, you know, maybe spe speaking generally in the example you just gave, is the difference between an order taker and a recruiting consultant. Hmm. So, you know, to, to what I was talking about earlier and the way that we think about recs, um, you know, a lot of times what I, what I try to do with our clients is get them to think about the problems that are going to be solved by the person they're bringing in um, and, and less so about the qualifications and the experience that they need uh, because there's so much that translates. And when you're looking left and looking right, um, it, you, first of all, you open up the pool of candidates um, you open up to more creative solutions or unique situations where someone can bring some perspective that you weren't even thinking they would be able to bring when you speak in terms of the actual problem solving aspect of, mm. um, of a position. So, you know, I think that that's, that would be the area where I think that we provide the greatest benefit to our clients is being able to make sure that, you know, like they say the the, um, I think it's Pareto rule, you know, 80% of your, but thank you. 80% um, of your results are going to be based on that first 20% of what you do. Yeah. So let's focus on that 20% and make sure we're, we're stepping out on the right foot. Awesome. All right. Well, that sounds good. And then, and then any other thoughts, Melissa, as far as, you know, proactive versus recruiting, like final uh, suggestions or advice you could give in a, from a, from the mindset of proactive and reactive recruiting? Um. Yeah, my gosh. Pro, you know, I live in such a reactive world because clients call me when they needed something yesterday, you know. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, going back to um, what I was saying about earlier, that having the upper levels of management involved in the recruiting strategy and the process. So if you can um, approach your upper management um, and really show them how their involvement will number one, allow the company to um, hire faster, which is hugely important because the candidate shelf life is very short today. Um, and there's a lot of time and money that gets wasted when um, there's any ambiguity in the process and any lag. I mean, literally we've seen candidates go off the market in a day or two days from the time that we first interviewed them. So. The more um, cohesive and 
the more the strategy can be proactive from the involvement of the upper management, um, I think that you really position yourself to be, um, to be successful that way and, and to keep it centralized um, and avoid kind of rogue spend. I don't know if people know what rogue spend is, so I'll just explain quickly. Um, in our industry, we refer to that when it's managers who are in a situation where they gave a, a rec to HR and it's been a month or two months and they're not hearing anything from HR, so they just call an agency. And they're like, I need this person. So next thing you know, somebody in the company is getting an invoice for 10, 15, $20,000. And you know, it's too late at that point because the manager has already engaged an agency and it might not have been something that would have been given a blessing to. Um, and so, you know, that's why I just say that I think that being proactive and really making sure that there's a, a streamlined process that um, has the involvement and participation of everybody from the top to the bottom, to, to, from the top to the bottom of the yeah. organization. That's fabulous. Good stuff, as always. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I, I, uh, I, I learned some, some nuggets today, and I'm really going to be thinking about boundaries because I think that you shared with our listeners some really good information about, about maintaining boundaries and, and doing so in, in a way that's um, respectful and, and comfortable. All right. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Thank you. All right. See you, Melissa. Thanks for joining us on the Catch Him and Keep Him podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss us next time. In the meantime, remember that engaging your people is a daily task and recruiting is a process, not an event. If you need help, just ask. Connect directly with Melissa at franklinprofessionals.com and Mark at mindsetgo.com.